from Dr. Peter Pronovost. You're listening to Micro Moments with Peter. Welcome back to Micro Moments with Peter. We are joined today by the brilliant Dr. Amitav Gol. Dr. Gol currently serves as the Director of Surgery and Critical Care at University Hospital's Geneva Medical Center. In 2022, he was named a Distinguished Surgeon Awardee for University Hospitals. He's a fellow of the American College of Surgeons and an Advanced Trauma Life Support Instructor for the college. He's also a member of several professional societies, including the Society for American Gastrointestinal Endoscopic Surgeons, the Society of Critical Care Medicine, the American Hernia Society, and the American Society of Breast Surgeons. Dr. Goal, we know you have a strong interest in teaching and improving healthcare delivery processes and are focused on bringing quality surgical and critical care to rural and underserved populations. Today, we wanted to discuss the financial burden of healthcare on patients and the efforts that you're making to address this. There was an article published last year on healthsystemtracker.org that discussed the burden of medical debt in the U.S. and cited data from the Survey of Income and Program Participation. One call out being that nearly one in 10 adults owes significant medical medical debt and occurs across demographic groups, but people with disabilities, those in worse health and poor or near poor adults are more likely to owe significant medical debt. And they also found that Black Americans and people living in the South or in Medicaid non-expansion states were more likely to have significant medical debt as well. Peter, do you have any uh, comments on this? And then we'll open it up to Dr. Goal as well. Yeah, Kelsey, um, thanks a ton. And Dr. Goal, thanks so much for being here. As you know, we are kindred spirits on the way we think to improve healthcare and approaching change and fellow critical care uh, clinicians. But let me build upon, Kelsey, what you said, because we have a healthcare financing system where those who are already suffering are su- suffer more from their inability to, to pay the, the bills. And you may all know that healthcare costs are the number one cause of personal bankruptcy in America. Let me put that even in a real terms. I previously published a paper where we looked at the financial impact of a week in the ICU. I, it happens to many patients, Amitabh, as you, you see all the right. time. Of that, half of the patients who had just one week had enormous financial hardship from that, meaning they went bankrupt, they had to sell their house, they had to forego sending a kid to college. I mean, like just enormous impact that we're often blind to. A lot of those cost drivers are the waste, and we spend a lot of time talking about that. But some of them are also structural about our financing programs. Amitabh, you're on the front line of uh, rural, many poor people who can't afford to pay for their their services. And we've spoken before just the devastating, I mean, and horrific impact it has on these. Maybe share with us some of your experience about these decisions people have to make to have or forego life-saving surgery, for example, because they can't afford it. Sure. Yeah. And Peter and Kelsey, thanks so much for having me. It's a privilege to be here. You know, uh, let me just go go back three weeks. Uh, you know, um, very quickly, I had a patient in the emergency room a Friday evening who came in with uh, possibly an acute abdomen. And, um, you know, I look at his scan. He may have needed an operation. So I, I went up to him and I said, you know, we may have to operate on you and you, um, you know, may have to go to the abdomen tonight. And, you know, Peter, the first response, it was just unbelievable. He looks at me and then he puts both of his hands over his face 
and he says, oh, my God, I'm going to lose my house. You know, and just think about that. Just stand back and listen and think about what he just said. You know, nothing about my operation. What's I mean, I'm going to lose my house, you know. And um, it was it was just so heartbreaking to, to hear that. But anyway, the, the, the nice thing that came out of this, thankfully, I didn't have to operate him. He actually ended up having inflammatory bowel disease and he was able to get home. But while he was in the hospital, we, through our health system, made every effort to get him qualified um, for Medicaid. And he did qualify. And I actually got his, we just got his paperwork. Our financial counselors did an amazing job and they got the paperwork. He signed it before he left. And lo and behold, when he leaves, he'll qualify. And a lot of his expenses backdating will, will be covered. And that, that's just one of many, many examples that, you know, um, and, you know, as you know, I've spent my entire career with UH and I've all spent it in that area. So Ashville County is the poorest and the largest county in Ohio. So, you know, we see these stories all the time. And don't forget, that's 20% of our country that are represented by these people. And as you said, and as Kelsey pointed out, many of them are, you know, um, they end up having to sacrifice a lot of their life savings to get their health care, which is, just seems so tragically wrong and just not right. You know? I'm a top, again, thank you for your humanism. That story is both hopeful and humbling hopeful that when people like you care, we connect them to programs. There, there often are people could get into Medicaid programs to help pay for this. The humbling part, Amitabh, and I, you know, the words, I'm going to lose my house. I mean, I could just ma imagine as a father, you know, as a husband, uh, that financial toil. What the audience may not know is the uninsured pay by far the highest prices for healthcare. Let, let, let me say that. The people who lack insurance pay the highest prices because uh, those of us with insurance, the we typically negotiate discounted prices so we don't end up paying the home thing. And it's significant discounts. Some like uh, half or even 70% of what a hospital would charge but uninsured don't have that luxury. So they get saddled with the full freight of the bill. And Amitabh, if you had operated on that patient, what do you think the total cost would have been for that patient? So I, I would guess at least uh, eighty dollars to $90,000 would have been the charge to that patient. You know, it would have been a difficult, uh, long hospital course. Um, and yeah, at, at least uh, eighty to uh, 100000 And, you know, this would be saddle this would be medical debt that he would be saddled with um he had two kids he was a single uh parent i mean this would be a, a life-altering event and you know would be would be terrible for him and his his family so, you know i think we we intervened and we 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 took care of one person at a time you know and peter let me just go back this is a story that i always that, that this is what uh really you know um made me think about it like this you know it's it's a it's a quick story it's a, a little boy who's walking on a beach and it's got sand dollars and there were thousands of them on the shore, and these have been tossed up by the tide. And as the wave receded, as the tide receded, the boy is throwing these creatures back into the sea. And a, a wise man, a, a wise man, a less wise man, an older man comes along and says, you know, he's wasting his time. You can never throw them all back in. That task is too infinite. And he tells the boy, you know, in the long run, your efforts are not going to matter in the great scheme of things. So the little boy throws another stand dollar back in to the sea and he and he looks at the old man and he says you know what it matters to that one okay so so to me you know as we look at our structural issues in our health system 
or in the country, it's hard for us to fix everything all at one, but at least we can do it one patient at a time. And that's a good example of what we did for this patient. And as you know, our health system and through a lot of the good work that you and your team have done, where we really try to bring value into the equation. And as a surgeon, I see that all the time. We Everyone forgets about the cost of the patient. And when, when I talk to patients about harm and, you know, risk and so on, I always bring in financial harm. I says, you know, here's a procedure. I always want to make sure that you're aware that this could be a financial harm to you. So these these are things that we really try to to bring to our audience and our patients and try to educate them because to me it's it's such a problem that no one seems to be addressing or understanding. Um and you know think podcasts like this and awareness is is probably what's going to help drive uh, us to change and get people to understand what's happening. Yeah, I'm tell great. So no doubt a call for all of us to connect people to resources like you did. Your point about financial harm Hamatab reminds me of a patient that I cared for. As you know, I suspect many of you know, when a patient has a complication in the hospital, which recent studies showed one in four do, it doubles or triples your cost. Let, let me say that doubles or triples your cost needlessly. And even if you have insurance, the best insurance most often have a twenty percent copay or coinsurance. So you know, a hundred thousand dollar bill could be a big debt. And many of our plans have high deductible plans. So they could be 1,600 up to 6,000. The average household could afford $400 of unexpended expenses. So those high deductible plans aren't a solution except for the more well-off. But I'll share with you just with that context, Amitabh and Kelsey, there was a patient who suffered complications uh, after surgery, had a very long uh, ICU course, you know, over two months, as Amitabha, as you know, you see these, these you know, various types of abdominal, comp, you know, catastrophes. And at the end of it, he passed. And during the course of it, you know, he was in and out of it, most of it, but he delirious, but he kept saying, I don't want to spend this money. I don't want to spend this money. And, but at the time, Amitabha, nobody sat with his wife and said, you know, uh, uh, here from this long a hospital stay, here's like what the reality is for a copay, even though having financial advisors as just another piece of information. Well, he died. And after he passed, his wife came back to the ICU to visit me. And she said, you know, I, I really want to thank you for the compassionate and kind care that you provided him. But he would have never wanted this, that this event caused him to blow his whole life savings. And apparently he has like three or four grandkids that, you know, he was a mechanic and saved that his legacy was to give something financially to his grandkids. So they had, you know, a better life than he did. And she was just furious to say, we blew this, like, and we, we blew it. And he would have never wanted all this. And nobody had a conversation with me, like to at least make that decision. And it, it is, stuck with me forever because I think sadly she's right. People deserve to have this kind of information to know what these expenses are going to be. And um, and it, it's not that we make decisions solely on those variables, but it is part of the decision process as the gentleman you shared with. So Amitav, where do we go with this? Where do, what do we do you, do you think we go to just make sure that people don't have to lose their house when they get needed care? So I mean, I, you know, Peter, I'm a surgeon, and um, as you know, we we can we are we can be part of the problem 
problem because we do um, with our scalpel and our hands wield a lot of cost. So, you know, I think um, looking at my um, the last 25 years that I've been doing this and, and dealing with a lot of individuals and folks, I think a lot of it has to do with um, just trying to I, to garnish value. Does the patient really need an operation, number one? Uh, if we do provide an operation to them, you know, can we give them the best value of that operation? Am I the best person to do that operation? And, you know, healthcare is, is going to become stratified where the, the, the way you develop the, the best outcome for that patient, and we, as we know, the value is defined as the outcomes that matter to the patient divided by the cost. So you have to have a good outcome for the patient. So it's, can, can I provide the best operation for that patient? And if I can, then I'm the right person for that. But sometimes that's not the right operation for the patient or the patient doesn't want it. You have to have that discussion with them. They need to be aware of the cost of it. And the only way you're going to do that is have an open discussion with them. They have to have resources available to them to, 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 to be able to identify and understand exactly what's, what, what's in it for them. The other thing is just you know being very efficient doing the operations in the right hospitals within the health system. And I think that's part of what your team is doing is, you know, the high value operations get done at the high volume hospitals. The other operations get done at other hospitals. You know, we ensure that we have a value-based equation for the, the procedures. We identify people. If we identify people that are need-based, we try to help them with that. Our system does a very nice job with that. So we get them financial help. We try to get that to them before they end up having the procedures. Um, we educate our primary care physicians and all the evidence-based outcomes and medicine out there so that they don't refer patients needlessly for procedures that may not need them. Many times, Peter, I have a discussion with a patient. I said, I don't think you really need that operation, but my doctor wants me to have that. So, you know, and that's where a lot of cost is generated because if you look at some of the data, um, procedures that are driving a lot of our cost, a lot of them are not needed and are not indicated. No, what I'm what I'm seeing after COVID is just there's a lot of people that are not actually having physical interactions with their primary care physicians, and a lot of it is just referrals, and so we're having to bear the brunt of that. Yeah, I think that's so true, Amitav. Just to put that some in context, we previously published a paper called "Putting a Dent in the Trillion Dollar Problem," where we showed that over a third of healthcare expenditures, 1.4 trillion, are wasted, and in the procedure space, Amitav, there's it's riddled with waste. For example, 30% of every procedure is deemed needless, 30%. There was a study from California, frightening, that showed for 10 high-risk surgeries, the hospitals, 60% of hospitals and surgeons did one or two of those cases last year, one or two. And we know the more you do, the better your outcomes. Now, it may be an emergency. You don't need, to, you can't get there, but there's a lot of surgery being done by people who don't do them a lot. And as you said, Amitab, we're, I mean, at UH addressing all those defects so that we try to concentrate procedures in the hands and at the hospitals that do a lot of them so that we drive out waste. The other piece I want to broaden the lens now, Amitab, is really getting into a policy question, but probably more of a moral question, because I think what the country has to wrestle with is, is basic health care a right? And because we still have 10% of the health of the U.S. population who lack insurance, like the gentleman, you know, you said. And and there's um, a lot of different ways we can finance people. You know, my own personal belief is that some basic health care is, is a human right, and especially as a country as wealthy as this. And yes, we have to get all the waste that you and I are 
and others are working on because that we just that alone could uh, provide the payment for healthcare as a basic human right and find ways to incentivize underusing or avoid overutilizing and keeping people healthy. But I don't think anyone should be in the position that um, we find so so many patients in. Amitav, I'll share with you. I spoke to a woman who was poor and uh, couldn't didn't have insurance. Her son had an asthma attack and had some allergic reaction. So his breathing was getting worse and she was really, really petrified for her son. But she knew an ED visit would be several thousand dollars that, again, she couldn't afford. She would likely lose her apartment. And it literally brought me to tears when she told me this story. So she said she drove her car house, I mean, her car to the hospital, parked outside of the emergency room and waited to see if his son would arrest when she would only go in if she needed it. And she said it was the most horrifying 12 hours because I watched my son struggle and he couldn't breathe. And I was like making these life and death decisions to say, is he sick enough now or suffering enough that I'm going to go spend that bill? Or, you know, do I try to wait it out? Because if I do, we're not going to have a place to live. I mean, then the the heart-wrenching position that that young mom was put in should never happen. No, absolutely. I mean, um, and, and that that's that's what drives me and drives you, Peter, is that, you know, we, we can't have, you know, we just can't not, we can't just keep ignoring the problem, you know. And, you know, I, if you look at the Commonwealth Fund, I mean, their final um, recommendations were affordable access to healthcare coverage and cost containment, which is what we're trying to do. But, um, you know, I, I think we just have to take it one, one, one patient at a time and really try to do what we're doing to uh, try and get the message across that, you know, no one should be without healthcare. No one should not have access to healthcare and have to make those gut-wrenching decisions that cause them to, you know, delay the care or watch someone die that they can't afford. And like you said, I've had many other instances of people that have sold their house, mortgaged their house, you know, got rid of their car just to pay for uh, a procedure. And these are folks that are, you know, 70 years old, they're, they've Medicare, they've, you know, got relatives that have served in the military. I mean, they're just good people that we deal with every day that are being faced with these horrible issues and problems and, and suffering needlessly. So, you know, I think that um, we just have to keep at it. We just can't give up, you know, we just have to keep at it, even if it's one patient at a time, because that to me is how we're going to get the message across. Well, Amitabh, it's been such a delight to have you and to have you as a friend, uh, to have you within our health system and this humanism and the clinical expertise you bring and and like you do with getting this woman health insurance and the great care you do, you're, I think, really a role model of living and leading with love, which we're, we're trying to perpetuate. And so thank you. And I think for the audience, it's if, you know, be mindful of these, make sure that our, for the clinicians that people are aware of what healthcare costs are or have financial advisors have that conversation. And then when patients lack access to Medicaid, connect them to to those services no thank you Peter. again it's a pleasure to yeah, be there yeah great you're a, a beacon of hope for us and thank you all again and join us on our journey to leverage the power of love within and between others to radically transform health and health care thank you and have a great day mm -hmm.